J.M. and the A.M., our Shavasar Batamu special, that's from Leif Tahar. Let's keep in mind as we introduce Rabbi Khan that he is uh, deep into the fast because he's in Israel as well, as uh, Shlomo Katz was uh, and is. Um, they are deep into the fast, and uh, we'll take that into consideration as we thank him for uh, joining us this morning. Uh, rabbi Ari Khan is a rabbi, author, and educator. Um, he is director of the Foreign Student Programs at Bar-Ilan University in Israel. Senior lecturer in Jewish studies, serves as rabbi of the Mishkan Etro community in Givat Zev, has authored 10 books on Jewish thought, including the highly acclaimed Echoes of Eden series, has published hundreds of articles on Torah and Jewish thought, and has been an amazing behind-the-scenes and uh, sometimes in front of the scenes advisor and friend to us here at JM and the AM and the Nahum Siegel Network. Rabbi Ari Khan, welcome back to JM and the AM. Thank you. You have to update the intro there. I, I have more than 10 books already. Well, what's that? What number are we at now? I don't know. I don't have to count. You know, you know like, sorry, Bli Ayinhara. Who counts? Who counts? Come on. Who counts? Um, but but a, new, a new one actually hit the, was was published yesterday. Seriously? Yeah. So we can wish you Mazel Tov, Anshavasar Batamas? How, how ironic not, is that? Not only that, you can buy it and see it long before I will. Because in America it's available, and where you are it's not. Yeah, and then who knows when they're going to ship it? That's funny. What's the name of it? I'll make you a shliach. It's called Crowns on Letters. It's on Agadot. You're amazing. Um, first of all, I think you'll find it funny or ironic that uh, our very own Avrami Finkelstein, who is uh, always on top of our program schedule here at the Nahum Siegel Network, so every week he chooses a. Um, a show from our past to air on Throwback Thursday, which is 1 p.m. Eastern time here on this network. And today I get the note from him that the Throwback Thursday is a Shivasar Batamas program <laughs> from, uh, let's see here, a Shivasar Batamas program from July 2011, and Rabbi Ari Khan was the special guest. How do you like that? So if you want, if you want to see how different you think nine years Earlier, you could tune into yourself later on tonight. <laughs> well, yeah. well, if you ask the same question, I'll probably give the same answer. <laughs> I hope so. That would be that would be yeah. the the high, <laughs> that would be the greatest compliment, uh, the height of consistency. Uh, so, Rabbi Khan, today is uh, Shiva Serbatamos. There have been many many days of tragedy. There have been many days uh, in, in in in. I mean, there are many anniversaries and days of tragedy in Jewish tradition, and obviously, we all get that the the day of the actual destruction of the Beit HaMikdash of the Holy Temple should be commemorated, and certainly the way we do as a day of mourning, a day of fasting, and many other restrictions. How did Shivasar Tammuz, the 17th of Tammuz, when again, unfortunately, our calendar is so full of dates that we could cite in terms of tragic dates in Jewish history, how did Shivasar Tammuz become a date that became not just a public fast day, but I think we could all say, at least the way we treat it these days, a serious public fast day in our tradition? Well, I think the proximity to Tisha B'Av in the sense that we have, that it's the introduction to Tisha B'Av, which means had Tisha B'Av not existed and we would just have the 17th of Tammuz by itself, I, I seriously doubt it would have the same gravity. I, I think it's that perceived connection, which is actually, in terms of halacha, stronger with Ashkenaz and Svaradim, although... Uh, I think the connection is very clear in our minds, and it's clear in the the Talmud as well. That speaks of the of this three week period as 
no matter what, you know, if you're allowed weddings at this point or not. I don't know if that's in your mind at all. Right. Israeli still, Sardim still allow weddings right, right. now. Right. Well, and that would go till when? Till the nine days or till Shavuot Shachal? Till, till, to, till to Rosh Chodesh. Rosh Chodesh Av. Um, and uh, we go ahead and we observe a day like today. And uh, uh, again, I think it's different from Tisha B'Av because Tisha B'Av is more of the day of mourning. I think today we're certainly, um, as opposed to the sadness of the period that's starting, it's more commemorating an important date. Um, is, is, is the reason that public, public days like this, the, the restriction is fasting? Is, is it because when God tells us uh, to restrict ourselves on an important day, obviously meaning Yom Kippur, the first thing he mentions is eating and drinking. Is that the reason that that has become the primary thing uh, when it comes to commemorating days like this? Because you could think, in all seriousness, there could be other ways for human beings to commemorate you know, a day like this. I mean, just, just you know, what some people do sometimes is you know, restrict themselves from speaking at Tanis Dibor. You could see that that, you know, custom could have been, you know, the way we go ahead and acknowledge days like this, you know, behaving differently in our manner of speech. Why has eating and drinking gotten to the point where that's the main thing when it comes to a public commemoration day like this? Yeah, well, you know, if you look at things in terms of the mission and the Gemara, you'll see that it's the fourth chapter of Tanit, which, the, by the way, for you, is it Tanit or Tainis? I don't know what to speak when I speak to you. <laughs> all overseas. of them. All of them. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say. That when... Uh, if you look at the Mishnah and then the Gemara, you'll see that all of the events of Shavasvatamas and of Tishabav come in the fourth chapter, following on right after the first three chapters that deal with other types of fasting, you know, for lack of rain, other things like that. So already that sensibility was already put inside the mission itself, although there was, or there were people who felt that this day should be stronger, that all the four fast days should be the same as Tisha B'Av and by extension as Yom Kippur, not just in terms of uh, food, but they felt that the other things of Enoi should be included as well, and that was seen to be a bit excessive and too much for the average person the Tzibur wouldn't have accepted it. You know, we have a hard enough time just with, uh, just with Yom Kippur so, uh, and Tishbev, so there was not a sensibility that we would do those as well. Does that officially go under the, uh, uh, the umbrella of Tircha de Tzibur? Yes. It does. <laughs> it, it, it's like, it's like Tircha de Because it's, this is a... something which the Tzibur couldn't accept, yeah. Because this is a topic you and I have discussed uh, yes. in the past, yes. and... And it's funny because, the number one, I mean, it, it, it is amazing to me, thank God, uh, that our uh, our great rabbis decided that, you know, that it was too excessive and that, and that Yom Kippur restrictions more than, you know, once or twice a year would be uh, too difficult for the community. Uh, uh, but in addition to that, it, it, when one looks objectively, and I'm not comparing it to other religions right now, although it's really easy to do that, right? It's easy to do that in this era. But... When one looks at our tradition, the way things operate, it is shocking that we don't have more public fast days. When you know how (laughs) Judaism has evolved and how our rabbis view the need for commitment of these types of restrictions in order to improve ourselves, in order to, as we discussed with Charlie Harari a few minutes ago, to, to, to achieve a national goal or yearn at least for a national goal, it is shocking that we're, I mean, I could, I could honestly see where, you know, during the entire nine days, we are told, you know, fast till sunset, you know, fast till, or whatever, till says, whatever it is. And and that could have happened in our tradition. Are you surprised sometimes that we don't have more of these days in our calendar? Well, 
knowing the connection that Jews have with food, I'm shocked <laughs> that we have this many. So I, I think there's a there's a counter to that uh, that argument. <laughs> I still I, I still think the way our our uh, tradition operates, it's shocking the other way. Right? <laughs> yeah. Well, no. There is this sensitivity. Again, again, it's interesting to learn philosophy out of halacha. It's something which Rabbi Soloveitchik spoke about at the end of a book that nobody ever read. Obviously, I'm exaggerating, called The Halachic Mind, and I think four people understood it. Like, you needed a doctorate in uh, in the philosophy of science to understand it. But at the end, he spoke about what he felt was authentic Jewish philosophy, which emerges out of halacha, and understanding what halacha asks of us, requires of us, expects of us, and so on. And uh, the fasting itself is, is interesting, but I remember years ago I was I was talking to somebody who I consider to be a religious family, and they said, yeah, every year on Tanitas there, we all have off, so we go off on a family hike. Right. And I just thought that was just so inappropriate. You know, I, I, it's like, yes, the fasting is important, but it's not the main thing. Right. The main thing is obviously the, the the feeling that we have. And But what halacha, actually, if you look at postcom at least the last 500 years, they sense that they need to lighten this, and they can't make more, and they can't, and, and they're very hesitant to make fasting days because they feel that people just can't handle it. The briskers, by the way, were especially strict about strict about not wanting to have fast days, and Rabbi Chaim was uh, encouraged people not to fast as much as possible. Interesting. Because, I mean, among everything else, how can you learn if you're fasting? Right. So a whole day of Bittal Torah is uh, something which is justified. Like you alluded to me off the air, how does one learn Dafyomi without a cup of coffee? Almost yes, impossible. Yes. Rabbi Ari Khan yeah. is with us. By the way, you know, it, it's funny you say that, and this is not a criticism, it's an observation. I am sometimes shocked, based on what I know about people around me, I am sometimes shocked at who does fast on days like today and who does not fast, who takes it very lightly days like today. And I think that's interesting to, you know, to see who's you know, committed to, to make sure to never, ever eat on a public fast day, all of them, and to those to whom you know, they, give, they give their Yom Kippur and they'll sacrifice their day for Tisha B'Av, but the others are not of much interest to them. Yeah, it, 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 I agree with you. It's interesting. And, you know, especially today, and maybe especially in Israel, yeah. there is this sensibility, which I'll call a common sensibility, of what do you need Shavos Tabatamus anymore? I mean, we have Israel, we have Jerusalem. What do we need these things for? And I think that there is this ideological position against it as well. And, and I'll, I'll admit something, which I shouldn't, but I will, that obviously today in the situation with corona and uh, and so on, who should fast and who shouldn't fast is not a very simple discussion. Right. And I've been involved in, in, in discussing with colleagues, and I was asked to give sock and for various organizations and so on. And it, it was not a simple thing. And one of the things in my mind was that we need to be lenient for everybody who needs leniency, who we're concerned about in terms of health. And obviously health comes first. Right. But there was this thought that if we're too lenient, across the board. There was one rabbi who said to me, listen, Kivaker said during the time of a cholera epidemic, you get rid of the fast day. You want to get rid of the fast day. I said, but we can't do that. We, we, I mean, I, I just felt it's too much. But in the back of my mind were all those people who don't fast anyway. And what would happen next year? They said, listen, last year there was an epidemic. They canceled it. Obviously, it's not so important. So even when we cancel it, you then, know, it's, I still think it's important for people to come over and ask for sock. Then why did it work in that era? In other words, if certain people felt that we in the diaspora should have not had a second day of Yontif this year on Pesach because of the isolation issue, because of the 
you know, and other issues as well. And 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 or I, I should be I should be careful how I say this. Not yeah. <laughs> not not that we should have abolished second aunt, that we should have been much more lenient when it came to certain elderly people about what they can and can't do on the second aunt. I should be, make sure I careful how I say that. Um, and 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 those of us who felt that that our leaders, our rabbinic leaders, should do that, and again, not questioning, just you know, hoping that they would have taken that direction, and they did not. Do you suspect that that was their motive? That they they were just concerned about quote unquote next year? And if and if if that's the case, why did it work in the era of Rabbi Kiva Eger? Well, first of Rabbi Kiva Eger, nobody nobody had Facebook or uh, Twitter, so. Things were isolated in terms of how widespread it would be. It would have been very localized. Good point. Today, things spread and very, very different. I see. I think that rabbis probably were very lenient when it came to individuals asking questions, but they would not in terms of public policy, because the public policy takes a life upon itself. You know, it's funny. I had a conversation with Rav Schechter about the topic of music during Sphira. Because the rumor was going around that uh, you know because of the depression, not a clinical term, just a general term, uh, that that people were citing in terms of the whole mood. I mean, COVID mood. I'm sure in Israel was very similar. Here in the month of the Nissan and ER was a disaster, uh, with so many people in our community and around the country just you know literally passing away. Um, and it was very and and he and he had. I'm sure you saw this. It was in writing. He had said that uh, you know those for whom. You know, just for their own mental health, it'll be you know beneficial. Uh, a rabbi could certainly allow somebody to go ahead and uh, and and listen to what we would call regular music, etc. But he but he said to me he doesn't think that that decision is a is a community wide decision. That's not something that, that he would recommend for our network, for instance, to make that change. We should still have that demarcation of you know of the middle part of Sphere sounding different. Than, the, than our regular format. And that's basically what you're saying, that today in this era, if someone of prominence makes a certain decision, it could just spread like wildfire, and every community will say, you know, and I'm just thinking, you know, it's funny, I, I live in the neighborhood with, with one one of, if not the greatest, halakhic decisor on planet Earth um, here on the Lower East Side of Manhattan. And, I mean, I know for a fact that uh, that people were, you know, asking many questions at that time, and the rabbinic leader would say, uh, you know that that sock was made with a specific community in mind, with a specific question that was brought to me. Uh, and in general, you know, it is not my role to make sock or to decide things for other communities. But if I'm consulted by a rabbi of that community, I'm going to give a certain opinion. And you're so right that just the environment we're in now would lead to what people like to say the wild west out there in terms of you know things getting around and things not being followed properly. You know, let me say a couple of things about that. I was very polite. I let you speak. You see, that's your show, and I let you speak. <laughs> Thank you. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a nice. That's why you invite me back. Okay. <laughs> every every nine years. <laughs> <laughs> a, a couple of thoughts. One, Rav Shachter just now published something in terms of music during the three weeks, and I, right. and my sense is that he was even more lenient. Right. Which, which is counterintuitive because because right. Syria is not as serious as the three weeks is. Right. That's one thing. Secondly, even in previous years for my students, I'd allow them to listen to music on their uh, iPods or whatever. It privately, pri- privately. 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 Right. And my reason for this is is that personal music, and, and I, I'm not sure if Postgim have caught up to this, really talking to kids and looking at kids and listening to them, that a kid listening to personal music is nothing to do with a wedding, nothing to do with dancing, nothing right. to do with happiness. It is a way of them to numb 
the world around them. And if this did lead to happiness, we would have the happiest generation that ever existed. And unfortunately, that's not the case at all. And therefore, I see zero correlation between a person listening to music privately versus uh, versus what Chazal, not, not even Chazal, I mean, honestly, we're going back to the Prima God, to the Mugen of Ram, right. but even what they were talking about is the kind of music which is wedding type of music, which could lead to dance. So this is just so far removed from that, that I don't even know what to say. But as far as things spreading, my father called me the other day and said, somebody, I don't want to say who, somebody told him that I said that there is, that, I'm trying to remember exactly, that nobody had to fast on on Shavasa Batamas. So I, I, I asked him, so he told me who? And I'm thinking, does that even talk about it yet by the time he called me? And I said, I'll tell you what it was. It was, I, I wrote something regarding Tainus Bechorus, Erev Pesach, and I said, being that the minhug is not to fast, I mean, honestly, do you know anybody who fasts? No. Nope. The minhug is not to fast. Right. The minhug is to go to a seum. Right. The minhug is to do something and not to fast. So I said, therefore, everybody can rely on a seum over Zoom or over right. something else. Right. Because anyway, the minhug is not to fast. So from that, somebody took that somehow I said that you don't have to fast on Shavuot Sabatamas. Wow. So like, like, like... <laughs> That's, that's I explained this to him what I said. He goes, "Oh, okay, that makes more that makes sense." I was, he was, I was trying to figure out what's far that maybe because of Corona, this that. So, uh, as I said, I, I didn't go that far. Yeah, I hear it. Uh, Rabbi Ari Khan is with us. Uh, we are uh, doing our Shavasar Batamus special, as we call it here at JM and the AM. Later on today at one p.m., the JM and the AM that we repeat for Throwback Thursday actually has Rabbi Khan with us. Um, doing the, uh, Rabbi Khan with us from nine years ago, also appearing on Shavasar Thomas. Finally, Rabbi Khan, um, uh, th- we, we will not be reading the Haftorah of Parshas Pinchas this week. Um, oh, by the way, I meant to ask you, because again, we've sp- spoken about, I, I asked my kids this question last week, because you and I have spoken about Tircha de Tzibura, uh, not, uh, I'm trying to think how I would translate Tircha de Tzibura, not uh, inconveniencing the public, not inconveniencing the congregation. Um, do you think that just like we read two parshios certain weeks, I know you didn't, but we did last Shabbat, do you think there was ever a push to read two Aftoras during those weeks? There, there were some localized customs that either read two or some verses from a second one uh, when there were situations like that. But again, when it comes down to it, there's no chiyuv right. to read the Haftarah akin to the chiyuv of reading all the parshos in the Torah. So, right. I, so there's I, a chiyuv on the and that's why we do it. We inconvenience everyone right. by having a double parsha because there's a chiyuv on the congregation to make sure that every parsha is read. Yeah, look, the, the Gemara has a couple things that you have to get to. Which means the way that the, tri- the the way that the cycle of reading that we have the Babylonian cycle as opposed to the one in Eretz Yisrael, the minhag of Bavel to finish the Torah every year has certain things built into it. So therefore, we need to get to to uh, Parshas Dvarim right. right right before Tisha B'av. So therefore, that's one of the times we're going to catch up. Which is, they were, no one was ever concerned about people traveling from place to place. So nobody ever cared about that because that just wasn't a reality. But that was a reality. We need to have Parshat Tzvarim. And, uh, and the Tochacha needs to be, you know, yeah. b- b- back at the end of Ikra. That needs to be before uh, Shavuos. And the other Tochacha needs to be Rosh Hashanah. So there were things which were built into the system that really had to come out that way. And those are the reasons that they make the changes or, or load up on double and they don't try to catch up immediately. Yeah. I mean, that, that's one of the things that, you know, should be done. They should try to at least endeavor to catch up 
much earlier than they do now. Thank you. We should be doing whatever Israel does. That's in my opinion, at least. <laughs> and I don't even know what we, I don't even know. And again, I'm not a rabbi, but I'm just conjecturing and thinking out loud. I don't even know what the problem would be with adding if we if we if we don't mind double partios, you know, as a tirchutzibura problem. Why not on Achron Shel Pesach just read the reading for the Achron Shel Pesach and the reading of the of the parsha they're reading in Israel that day? Like I just don't I don't get that. Like why not just Simch- the, 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 the twin brother of Tircha de Tzibur is Simchas Yomtev. It would definitely take away your Simcha. You want, you want to get to the brisket. I guess you're right about that. <laughs> um, so finally, uh, no Parshas Pinchas Haftorah this week. We will read the Haftorah of Parshas Matos. And and the reason is because the three sad Haftorahs have to right. be read in succession right. before uh, Tisha B'av. and and that has again. I I don't know where it falls in terms of the Dvarim requirement that you just mentioned, but it sounds like it's pretty serious that we have to make yeah. sure to get those three in on the three consecutive Shabbatot before Tisha B'av. Yeah, there's a psikta that talks about uh, these three and then the seven of Nechama afterwards. And uh, yes, so this is also something which is built into the system and needs to be expressed at that point. I mean, I do want to say one thing about Shavasa Batamas, sure. and that is that essentially, if you look at the things that happened, it's a, it's about a loss of holiness. It's not just national identity. It's about a loss of holiness from the very beginning, from the breaking of the luchos to the walls of Jerusalem being uh, broken, and so on. It, it, it's about holiness, and, that, and that's something which I think that we need to focus on, is that protecting the holy in our lives, and maybe especially this year, when we haven't been able to go to our shuls, our bate midrash, and the holy places that you know are sacred and important to us, have not that something's happened to them, but something's happened to us that we're able to go there. And it's the issue of holiness in our lives. That's really the change that took place. And Yochum and Zaka had this incredible challenge. What do we do in a world which has lost all that holiness from Yushalayim to uh, you know the Ezra's Nashim to the to, to the base of Mikdash to the very center there, Kodesh Kadosh and the Sanhedrin, everything there, and we lost all of that. So now, how do we somehow try to replace that? And that was part of the challenges the rabbis had in that generation. We're not looking right now for permanent you know, changes to take place, but at least we need to have that sensitivity. And I think that's really part of what the the focus or the the, the avoda on the on this day should be about. And to tie together what you just said with some of the things we mentioned earlier, one of the things we've learned in 2020 firsthand for those of us living in this country is when there is a diminishing of faith, values, and holiness, uh, there's not much left, and and society deteriorates to a really, really bad point. So we have a job. We have a job to keep our faith, our values, and as you just recommended, our holiness as intact as possible to our benefit, the Jewish world's benefit, the future of the Jewish people's benefit, and frankly, for the world's benefit. Absolutely. Tadarabara by Khan. And an easy fast. Have, a, have a you two meaningful fast, and uh, maybe Tishabov will be playing happy music, and we'll, uh, we'll have a happy conversation then. That would be amazing. We're by Ari Khan, everybody, on this uh, Shavasar Thomas special here at JM in the AM. A fast, meaningful and uh, inspirational fast for everybody. Yeah, we wish you a fast fast, an inspiring fast, and a meaningful fast.